Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes episode 106, always a bit of a pep, an extra pep in the step whenever there's a major championship to be run and won uh, in the coming couple of days and that of course is the case with the US Open to be played at Pebble Beach, a course and an event we're all very much looking forward to. Marty Blake is in the studio alongside, hello Gazelle. G'day Andy, yes very much looking forward to it, so a lot of late night sort of activity at the moment isn't there? We're with, getting a bit used to it aren't we? Cups and stuff like that. And Tennis has tested Matilda's us a little bit. And- yeah it's, yeah, it's interesting. And we've got a man on the ground too. We have, and we'll get to him in a moment. Yeah. Uh, he's all over the place. Matty Cutler joins me far too long. And what a lovely week to have you on the show, Matthew. Lovely what to see week. you. What a week. How much Carlton can we talk? Well, I think we should do a bit, actually. I know well, Hazy's ready to go. But I might have to put a stop on Do you want to ask a couple of questions about the Blues, Blakey, on the <laughs> way not through? Not at all. I don't want to hear about the Blues. Uh, well, let's have a chat between ourselves. Mm, it was nice, wasn't it? No, yes. we won't do that. Uh, we had a very big show, uh, as Blakey alluded to. Um, Hazy is not here. He's <laughs> over there. We're about to catch up with him. In fact, you can hear him just clearing his throat in the background right now. He's caught up with a couple of superstars. Marcus Fraser, Brendan Goddard. We'll hear from them. Matt Goggin. You've spoken to Matt Goggin, uh, you two, a bit earlier on we today. We talked to which, Matt mm. about the passing of Peter Toogood, who's uh, one of the best amateurs Australia's ever had. Mm. And you'll hear that Matt Goggin actually played a final of a Tasmanian Amateur Championship against him when he was a young man. So, so yeah. some, re- some reflections from Matt Goggin and also Matt about his own career. Good. We'll do all of that. Just before we get to Hazy, um, Matty, kick it off. We're all tragics around here. Mm-hmm. How much are you looking forward to what they do to this course? And Hazy's walked it, so we'll get a sense from him. So let, let's not him. We won't get him to spoil any of our, of our expectations with the actual truth of the matter. Or he might confirm a few for us. What are you? What are you thinking they're going to do to Pebble Beach? Yeah, oh, you've seen stuff on social media already, mm-hmm. and the length of the rough and. I don't, I actually don't know where I sit on that. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? You, you can't have get an opinion fence, because Matty, will you? no. Yeah. Well, people get stuck into you. You're right. You're wrong. Like I, I actually like it tough. I think yeah. it'll be good. I hope it's windy and breezy. There. Doesn't sound like it's going to be. I think Hazy will bring us up today. But it sounds like the weather reports pretty good by the sounds of things. Have you seen the Patrick Cantlay video? Of course, on yeah. social media, ridiculous. What is in eight steps off the green? Ridiculous. And the ball disappears. I hate, I hate that. And then some of the comments you see after it, it's like, oh, it shouldn't be like this. Let them play from good players. Mm. And then it's like, they're the best in the world. Let's trick it up. So there's no right or wrong, I don't think. Mm. Well, we know the obsession with the USGA. They know, we know what they want to have the winning score to be. And they'll do seemingly whatever they feel like they have to do to make it grueling and to keep the winning scorers 
close to par as they possibly can. I mean, it just, that just yeah. seems to be the stated ambition or and unstated I, ambition. I would say that I think that that's what the US Open is and that's that's, its, that's the identity of that event, mm, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and there is a point of difference with Pebble because they have a tour event each year that they can mm. compare the scoring there. And the scoring there is generally pretty good. So I think the USGA will sort of tip their hat at a, uh, at a tougher event than a standard tour event. Generally, the weather uh, for the... Pro-Am is horrific. Uh, if you tune in and watch that, more often than not, they are playing in uh, sideways rain at about six or seven degrees. Yeah. They've got multiple beanies and gloves yeah. between shots. It's never very friendly, the weather, for that tournament. And they've got to put up with Bill Murray. That's true. And one or two others. Well, um, let's, without further ado, let's get over there and find out what it is actually like on the ground. Uh, the man who's generally here driving the whole thing, the heartbeat of Inside the Ropes, is over at Pebble Half. He's lucky. And he joins us again on the show, uh, Mark Hayes. Come on in, my friend. Hello, Murray. I might have put a bit of cholesterol in that heartbeat with a bit of deep-fried American air. That I, you know, you, you come over here and you you look at LAX and you put on five kilos, and I'm, I'm true to form at the moment. So I, I better lift here. No, just steer clear of some of those things that they put in everything. Uh, very hard to find food over there. It does what was the one a couple of years ago that was no? Was it palm oil? Or well, there was something that was running a muck over in America. Instead of sugar, it was in everything, and oh. it was. Remember what it was? Uh. Was, yeah. It was something no good. It was Matt, Maddie and I would be tipping that uh, Hazy would be, you know, he'd probably up to three or four burgers by now. A what day, do you yeah. <laughs> That's not a lot. Is that correct, Hazy? No. <laughs> Is no. it more than that, Hazy? There hasn't been a lot of good. There hasn't been a lot of goodness go down my throat in the last couple of days. But I am not as bad as I used to be, like you so. uh, How much time have you spent out walking around and having a look at the golf course, uh, Hazy? Uh, Andy, I spent. Most of today, so it's Monday in the States as you guys are recording this, and um, I spent most of the day out wandering around. I, it's fascinating. Um, the whole Monterey Peninsula um, is breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, you've heard Huggy talk about um, Glen Eagles being uh, the fourth best course in Octorada in the middle of Scotland. Maybe, just maybe, Pebble Beach is the fourth best course on the Monterey Peninsula. That's how beautiful it is around the traps, so... Uh, it's breathtaking, and today you're talking about the weather. It was just absolutely perfect, you know, mid-20s, not a breath of wind. And I think no matter what they did to the course, if they played it on a day like today, the scores would be, you know, lower than USGA would have them ideally in their eyes. So I did see this amazing stat on Golf Channel uh, while I was working away today. And I think it sort of plays right into the USGA's hands with what they want to do here. They showed a stat of the, the past champions. This is the sixth time they've played at Pebble Beach. And essentially what happened from the time when Jack Nicklaus won in 72 to Tom Watson in 82, Tom Kite in 92, Tiger and then Graham McDowell. Every year the average long driver, the best long driver here, has been 15 yards incrementally further. And mm. as with most courses now, the defence is uh, no longer length. So if it doesn't blow here, which... By all reports, it won't, uh, especially in comparison to how it is earlier in the year, as you mentioned. The defence is going to be just wicked rough around the greens. And I was listening, I was out listening to some coaches talk with their players today. I walked with Brett Drewitt's coach uh, for quite a while, and he was actually instructing Brett which bunker to lay it into if he's in trouble off the tee. Um, oh. So basically, the aim would be to get in a in an undecided bunker as opposed to be above it or short sided. So it, it, it's going to be. Uh, a test. If your if your iron plays off here, you're going to have a huge score really quickly because it, it just grabs the clubs this rough. It was extraordinary. I've got a few photos which I'll put on my Twitter soon 
just really breathtakingly hard to, around the greens if you're in the wrong spot. Hazy, what is the play out of that rough? If you're, say, 15 metres from the green, 20 metres from the green, what, what's the play? What club do you have to hit? Uh, I think they were, they were basically taking one of their lob wedges. They've all got a, a variety of those these days. I'm not sure what loft it was and just holding on for dear life and swinging hard. Um, most of them can get it somewhere near, but... Again, the problem is uh, those sort of shots, Blakey, almost invariably you're going to leave the ball uh, on the wrong side of the hole and the, and the greens were running super fast as well. It's been pretty warm here, I think unseasonably warm. So uh, the greens are running beautifully uh, and they're, they're very slippery downhill. So I watched a couple of guys um, today. I think Spieth was the, probably the pick of the, the players that I saw in extricating himself from that rough. But I saw a lot of guys leave it in with not only one or two, two shots even in that rough. Um, he was playing with uh, uh, Matt Cutler's favourite man. Um, what's his name, Matty? The amateur Hagstad? Stuart. Stuart Hagstad, thank you. Stuart Hagstad, and he left a couple um, from, I would say, five metres from the pin. Uh, but in that rough stuff, he left a couple in there, uh, just trying to get it somewhere near the pin. If he eventually got it out, and, it ran, and to answer your question, Blake, he's seven or eight metres past, mm. and that's what we're going to confront. I just wanted to wondered whether you'd come across Jason Day yet because the big news of the week is that he's signed uh, Steve Williams, Tiger Woods' former caddy and most recently seen on the bag of Adam Scott, uh, to caddy this week, which is really, really interesting, I think. Why would that be? It is. Why, why, uh, is it, why would he have done that? I don't know. We're going to find out more tomorrow. I was I didn't ask him questions today. He was intent on practicing and I think he's got his media conference tomorrow. He didn't want to say it all 15 times. So uh, I did speak to them both. Even even Steve Williams said, I'll chat to you tomorrow, Hazy. So um, I think they're on a bit of a, a mission there. I can't imagine the conversations between Jason Day and his two good mates who have been on the bag um, to say, look, not only one of you, but both of you have been tiptoed from a major championship. There's got to be something wrong there. Uh, an acceptance that the formula just didn't work. Uh, it's fascinating that they've taken that route by the major championship. Uh, I can't imagine Steve Williams doing it uh, even semi-permanently. I did talk to him long enough to know that he's absolutely infatuated still with his motor racing in, in New Zealand. So uh, I can't imagine him coming off the cars to come and lug the bag around through the, the nitty-gritty of the PGA Tour season. So it's going to be fascinating. I, I'm... Jason was hard at it today on the range. Didn't play. He's going to go out there and do it tomorrow, but he has been here for a, um, um, for a couple of days. So it's it's going to be interesting to watch him. He was out there working on hitting about a five-yard draw as opposed to his sort of genuinely straight sort of irons, and he was flushing them. And he did say to me, look, I've, I've been uh, uncharacteristically bad with my short game. So I, I, need to, I need to put it close here, and I've been really working hard on it. So taking it his word... Didn't see him around the short game area today, but uh, I reckon he's been pretty hard at it, so let's wait and see. Back to the golf course, Hazy. You said it's uh, firm and fast and they've had some some good weather. I think the knock on Bethpage was the earlier in the season tournament left it a bit soft, so it'll be nice to see a firm course. How uh, how hard and fast is it running? Uh, it's all relative, Matty. It's still, still a slot fest compared to what Kingston Heath might be in the middle of February, but um, it was it was just visu- it was visually different to Best Page Black, uh, which is a positive sign. Um, the rough is still very 
Well, it's like it's got Velcro on it, but the fairways have got a bit of bounce. Um, there's no doubt about that. In comparison, I'm only talking in comparison to the normal, uh, you know, Bethpage Black style beast that we see. But, uh, you know, in, as I said, in comparison to Australia, it's still it's still rel- it's still relatively soft. Um, I'd say the greens were running sort of, I want to say 12. So that's a that's a fairly big call early in the week from the USGA. So that's one. Interesting thing, and another thing about the course, which I didn't realise until you come here, these greens are the smallest anywhere, basically on tour. So it's uh, it's going to put a premium on on placement of, of short irons in particular, and it, it's a it's a fascinating course. It's absolutely beautiful around the around the ocean, and then there's some sort of nondescript holes, I want to say, up off the coast, uh, but. Uh, they all count towards his final score, don't they? And a couple of those long par four, long, long par four, the ninth, uh, which is on the coast, but then the tricky par five, fourteenth, um, up above it. Uh, could be some interesting scores on both of them, depending on which way the wind goes, if it gets up at all. Really challenging holes, both. How dialed up is the Tiger height, Frazy? Oh, Hazy. Mario, I, I got out. I was out walking, um, probably late morning and I just saw this tidal wave of people coming uh, probably from about the 10th, 11th, I couldn't tell exactly at the time, but this is massive people just surging up and there was no, they weren't watching anyone in particular, I didn't think. As it turned out, Tiger's uh, entourage uh, had, his, had cars pulled out down onto the, towards the ninth green and he played nine and then got escorted off the course via, uh, via some vehicles and that just left... I would conservatively say 5,000 people <laughs> just, you know, just trying to figure out a way to get back to the clubhouse because it's a very, very long way. It's a tough walk, of course, and they were sort of bemoaning the fact that Tiger had left them out in the middle of nowhere. So when you say a tough walk, um, is it what, – describe that to us. Yeah, so I hadn't known much about the – Holes that are away from the coast, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we all know about the, you know, the par five, the hit over the hill, and the magnificent seven, the par three, the short one down, and the eight follows with a, you know, a shot over an inlet. Uh, you have to play over the water. Um, the ninth and tenth along the beach. All, all those holes are sort of familiar to those who watch a bit of uh, golf. But I would say that it's hillier and more side hill lies than I imagined. Uh, especially on a coastal course. And the ones that I sort of had a sneak peek at tonight as I was driving back to where I'm staying uh, are far more typical of a Lynx course and a little bit um, bumpier but flatter, if that makes sense. This one's sort of up into a, a hill on a lot of a lot of lies are a little uneven. Um, so it, it, it is, it's, a tough, it's a tough walk, as I said. Uh, it's a long way out, so it's sort of a, uh, almost an out-and-back course, um, St Andrews style in some ways. Um, more elevation changes than I imagined. Yep. Uh, definitely more beautiful, and I would say, in my to, compared to my eye, the greens are so much smaller, uh, and they produce they pr- they provide very small um, targets from visually from the course. A couple of par threes, you just can't even rem- vaguely consider where you're landing the ball. It's just a, a knowledge of the course and what your caddy tells you. So it, it's very interesting. 
Mate, we can't wait. Uh, I can't imagine the excitement levels that you're experiencing, having been there for the first time today, had a look around and a couple of days away. Um, with a good, strong Australian contingent, we're going to hear um, in a few moments the chat you've had with Marcus Fraser. Um, with a good, strong Australian contingent there, um, you must be peaking, uh, thinking about what's only a couple of days away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, eight, eight Australians here, which is awesome. You know, we always continue to punch above our weight, I reckon, in that sense. And you know, not all of them are going to contend. Not all of them will be around at the weekend even. But they're all, you know, excited for what lies ahead. And I think Fraze, when you hear him, he was fantastic. Uh, he had a, a great way of putting it, Andy. He said, because his, his dad, John's flown over from Corowa, rarely gets on a plane uh, ever to go and see him. He's only done it a couple of times in his career. And he actually flew across because, in Fraze's eyes, this is almost the American equivalent of playing uh, the Open at St Andrews. This mm. is regardless of what you think of Pebble Beach or where it sits in the, you know, order of scheme of American golf. Um, this is the sort of Open you want to be at if you can, and it is actually very special to walk around. So, can't wait. Looking forward to it, and uh, yeah, just the opportunity to be here makes me a very lucky fella. Mate, we'll let you go. Uh, we'd all like to be where you are. We're happy being where we are, but it uh, it sounds pretty awesome, mate. Um, everybody uh, who doesn't follow uh, Hazy on Twitter, if you're that way inclined, make sure you do because you won't miss a beat from an Australian perspective uh, and others, of course, throughout the coverage of the tournament. Have a great time, mate, and we'll uh, speak to you next week. Thanks, boys. Good on you. Mark Hayes on the ground over there at... Makes you want to get there, doesn't it? I mean, you, you, it well, is Brendan one. Brendan Goddard's there. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Goddard, AFL legend, is carrying the bag for Marcus Fraser this week. They're very good friends. They're members <laughs> of your club, Andy. Oh, yeah. oh, Peninsula, yep. When Marcus Fraser went to London to qualify, to see if he could qualify, he, he flew to uh, Walton Heath, I think it is, in London, yep. uh, got in, and before he'd finished signing his card and getting off the course because he finished second in the qualifying <laughs> or runner, uh, you know, tied leader or something, Brendan got out already texted him, am I required? <laughs> uh, so I think uh, he'll deal with that in this interview that Hazy's got, and we might even have some words from Brendan himself. Essendon and St Kilda legend. We'll do all that in a moment. Just of the Australian contingent, um, if you had to pick one, is it is it the obvious name given the form that one of them brings in that jumps off the page? If you had to pick one who's likely to be there when the whips are cracking? I think Adam yeah, you're referring that's to? The I, one think I think so. Yeah. I think so. He, Absolutely. Uh, I bet a major tournament and... The course setup, I think the course setup, the way it is, and with the lack of wind that Hazy talks about, I think a really good ball striker is going to perform there. So the guys that can manoeuvre the ball and, and play old school golf um, might not be as uh, as well off as they would have been if the wind gets up. So it's just top ball striker, and Adam's certainly in that uh, boat just, at the moment. He's just playing great, he is. isn't he? All of a mm. sudden, he's, he's just playing fantastic. He's got the long putter not anchored. He's putting well. If he has a great putting week, Adam, he'll go very close, surely. Uh, if you had to pick one of the others, um, Jason Day's not physically, I don't think, where he wants to be at the moment. He would be the other one, obviously. But if there's one of the um, outside of well, – Leishman's had his recent physical issues as well that he's been dealing with. I'm sure he's closer to 100% than he was three or four weeks ago, but he might not necessarily be there. Is there anybody else who you think, you know, just keep an eye on? Matty Jones playing well enough to – be half a chance to sort it's of get inside to the know, top 20 it? somewhere, like, you know? Guys just pop up that mm. you haven't heard of all year, but they've got an affinity with the course or the tougher conditions suit them. Often the Aussies play well in majors because we grow up on those hard courses that Hazy referred to, like a Kingston Heath or, a, or something like that. So someone's going to pop up. Hopefully mm. it's an Aussie. Look, the, the one who's always there really is Leash, yeah. isn't it? He's, you know, the last couple of years, I mean, he had that little 
problem with his back recently, but he's come back since and had a, had a top 10 finish. So you'd think that Leash might, might be a chance as well. So have you got one? I'm going to ask you this question because I'm wondering whether Rory McIlroy is going to be a name that you're going to mention. So, in, so incredibly impressive was he in Canada. Mm. Is, is has he thrust himself into the soil? I mean, he should be in con, like a frontline contender when it comes to tipping a winner in every single major championship, but he doesn't win them often enough. Hasn't I think. won one since 2014. Mm, I think mm. I, I noticed Rory today. Like I think everyone wants it. Not in a bad way for him. Everyone wants it for him more than he does. He seems pretty relaxed with where he's at, pretty comfortable. Is that his way of dealing with it, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. But he just seems in a pretty good space. So mm. it's not like he has to win these things. It doesn't look like that. I think if he does, it's great. But um, I think everyone else wants it for him more than he does. Did you see some of the numbers that came out of Canada? 22 300-yard-plus drives he hit during right. the, 22 times. And there were four or five that went 350-plus. Yeah, I mean, he's that that was completely on song. Since 2010, the PGA Tour put out a tweet that I had to look at twice because I didn't quite believe it. Since 2010, two wins by seven plus strokes or more. There's only one player who's got more than one. There's probably 12 who have had one of those. McElroy's had four. So when he's yeah. on, he destroys fields. He does. And I think he's played with Webb Simpson in at least two of those. So I think if he's uh, if he's lining up with Webb, I don't know what it is about Webb, but he likes it. So we've had this discussion before, I think, but is his best the best? Well, I his stand best by that. The best? I, do, I think it is. I mean, when you Probably. look at that as a number, when you look at that as a just one stat, you know, multiple wins. Under. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Uh, I think he's the one. I think if he gets it all together, and you know, by that you mean all, you know, the the – all the factors that need to be in line to win a major championship. I still think, Matty, he is the one that's got most artillery to throw at a course like You'd Pebble think Beach. so. Yeah. You'd think it does he turn up, I guess, with yeah. his game. But I did notice on the in the press conference after Canada, they asked if it was going to intrude on his uh, practice for the US Open. He said, no, nah, he'll be he'll be hungover, so we'll have a, <laughs> have a day off on Monday. So he's taking it in his stride. It's really interesting what Hazy was just saying about the rough and the way that course is going to be set up because – they're not going to be able to, if they take a double, for instance, they get in that rough and they take mm. a double, you can't just let it all go away, can you? You've got to you've got to be able to just suck it up and move on to the next hole because you're going to have to grind it out. Well, there, there is there is going to be a double in there somewhere or a triple. And the frustrating part about that rough for someone like a Cameron Smith who's got one of the great short games in world golf, it takes his talent and his skill away when mm. you're just hacking it out. Yeah. So it puts a premium on... Hitting greens, which look at McElroy, Kepka, these guys that just mm. bomb it and then hit greens, shorter irons in. It puts a premium on that because the guys with the good short games that might miss a couple of greens, they'd lose that um, that little benefit they've got on the field because they're just hacking it out to who knows five, ten, twenty feet. Don't we all agree? It's such a shame. I mean, every player is going to play exactly the same type of shot when they find themselves in that position. There's yeah. no option Get but it to yeah. just hack it out, like. Yeah. Full swing, gouge it out. That's the shot to play. And that happened to Beth Page a lot when they missed it in the fairway. Um, hack it out of the rough and just essentially every par four became a par five mm. with a driver, a wedge and another wedge or something. So it took the fun out of that tournament. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. Unfortunately, it sort of comes back to the whole debate about the ball and how far it flies, doesn't it? Because they're, they're trying to protect these older mm. courses, mm. which is what it, what it comes back to. But why protect them? Just let them play. That's, that's What are we afraid of? I don't know. It's not like the course has a say. Is anybody going to say, you know, if 
Marcus Fraser wins and shoots 24 under. Is anyone going to say, what a joke? No, nope, they'll love that at tournament. Won't they love it? Oh, that's the thing that I keep coming back to. I mean, you just want to see the course played as it was intended to be played. And I know that isn't necessarily able to be the case anymore, given the fact that the ball goes as far as, far as it does. But, um, you know, let the best player throughout the week win irrespective of what the score is. Mm-hmm. You know, that just seems to be the case. Now, we mentioned that Hazy, who's gone caught up with player and a caddy. Uh, he did catch up with Marcus Fraser, who gets in by virtue of an outstanding qualification performance, as Blakey said at Walton Heath. Uh, he goes in, um, who knows? He's a chance. He's turned it up, so you never know. Let's catch up with Marcus Fraser, who caught up with Mark Hayes. Welcome inside the ropes, Marcus Fraser. It's a it's got to be a thrill for I know it is for me for you to be standing here at uh, Pebble Beach. Yeah, for sure. I think as uh, I've said to a few people that the uh, the Open at St Andrews is kind of like the US Open at Pebble Beach. It has that, that that same sort of ring to it. So it, uh, yeah, it's very cool. It's one that I always wanted to come and play, and um, it's definitely you know as a professional golfer, it's a bucket list one that you you really want to play and you try and do everything to, to try and get here. It's an ugly place too, isn't it? Oh, it's awful. Yeah, you just can't find anything to look at it. Uh, yeah, I mean those. You start with uh, the setting that it actually is on the on the coastline, and then all the beautiful homes in the background. And um, yeah, I mean you throw in beautiful weather like this as well. It's a pretty special place, that's for sure. I'm um, looking out there. At, you know, I've, I've said this to you before. You know, longer courses potentially problematic for you. This one's, you know, it's a decent test, but it's not brutally long, is it? It's, it's something that suits up well for you. Yeah, I think. It, uh, it is a long golf course, like all major championship golf courses. But I think the good thing about here is you've got all these entry points onto the greens. Like, you can still, you know, I'm hitting some long shots into greens where I can still run it up on onto the green, a bit like some of the old Heathland courses in England that you, and some of the Lynx courses, that you've sort of got that entry point to be able to run the ball on, which doesn't mean you've got to fly it all the way onto the green and try and stop it. So it, uh, it's definitely, you know, something that... Well, definitely the way I like to play the game and especially on these longer courses definitely helps me that's uh, yeah no two ways about it well, with a lot of talk about say Beth Page Black for example that you know no offence but you can't yeah. win there no, I would have been completely wasting my time going there yeah. if I had got into it so it uh, you know you'd, you'd be just for me to go there would just be making up the numbers but I feel like here I can definitely and I feel very comfortable in, in trying to compete for the tournament so it um yeah, it's, there's a lot to like about this golf course for for all levels of, of players and, and different st- um, styles of players. So, it, uh, yeah, it's a pretty special place. So before we talk about the good things for you, the couple of holes that are going to be, you know, a real strong test, probably, what, two and two, nine? Yeah, two, nine, uh, ten. Um, yeah, probably 17. It's a bit of a, you know, I've got a, I mean, I'm in the last two days, I've hit three iron in there off the back tee and pretty much tried to hit it straight up my nose, trying to hit it that high at... Uh, and yeah, it's just a, where the other boys are probably in five and six irons. So it uh, yeah, it is a couple of tough ones, but at the same time, it's there's ways to play the hole. So it yeah. uh, it gives you a couple of options, which a lot of major championship courses don't do that. So it's nice to to play one there. It gives you a couple of different options off the tee and into the greens. The greens themselves, they're unbelievably small, aren't they? Like yeah. it, it, I know that's hard work, but that plays into your hands. Yeah, and I think for you know for. For, I suppose people back in Melbourne, like you think of all the great short par fours that we have on the sand belt in Melbourne. Those size greens are pretty much all the, so, the same size greens out here. For but sometimes you're going in there with a you know the four iron or a, I mean for me some of the holes are three iron. So it's, uh, 
but yeah, there's not many big greens out there for sure, and they're, and they're all sloped back to front. Um, I think 16 is the only one that um, kicks forward from the front, um, but then the back half also is back to front again. So it's, um, but yeah, like it, one side's always normally um, the severe side. Like you just got to cut out that short side and the and the one missing it long. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of strategy behind it and. Yeah, something I really, that's the kind of the way I enjoy playing golf is trying to really sort of think your way around there. Because I, I mean, I've never been one to overpower a golf course, so it uh, when you really got to sort of knuckle down and think your way around a golf course and work out a plan. That, uh, it's normally when I play my best golf, it's not a hanging offence here to have a bogey, is it? It's a hanging offence to have a triple, but you yeah. know, it's uh, it's something you can manage around here if you. Yeah, and I think on that, uh, I think on the ninth hole. If the tee's all the way back and it plays in the wind, I'm probably going to lay it up, um, which sounds crazy for a par four, but I feel like if I go for that green, left's no good, long's terrible, right's in the ocean, um, and there's a big bunker at the front, so i kind of just got to try and minimise the damage um, on that hole, and if I can give myself a 70-yard pitch from a third, hopefully I should be able to get up and down two of the four times, And um, but it all depends where they're going to put the tee and and how they're going to set it up but uh, yeah bogey can be a good score on um, on some of the holes and yeah sometimes par's a great score so just got to really get a feel for the golf course as soon as you get out there it, it's a beautiful place uh, you never had the chance to play here on the regular tour is it something you look at in a round or are you just in the in a zone and just focused on what's ahead here yeah sort of why I really wanted to get here early I came across to San Francisco on Wednesday did some practice in San Fran for a couple of days then came up here Friday night so I really wanted to have a look at it to try and get all that sort of stuff out of the way and um, yeah, all that hype that goes with playing a major you want to, and being pebble, you want to try and get rid of that to, as you get closer to Thursday, really be able to knuckle down and think about um, the tournament and, and doing well. So yeah, I think, uh, I think I've got that out of the way and, and taken my fair share of photos and <laughs> all that sort of stuff out on the golf course. So I think now it's, you know, I'm going to do nine holes Tuesday, nine holes Wednesday and, and that'll be my preparation done. And, Hopefully I'm good to go. We're standing out here on the side of the range. It's Monday, uh, American time. It's a bit of a circus out here, isn't it? I mean, it, there's a lot that comes with these tournaments. Did you ever sort of fully grasp this, or have you completely over it? You don't even worry about it. What's what? How do you tackle it? Yeah, I think it. Uh, you know, uh, you know what it is. Like it, it's just, it's. A, you're right. It is a bit of a zoo, but it's only Monday lunchtime, and um, I mean Tuesday afternoon, and then Wednesday as well. It. Uh, yeah, it's a bit uh, chaotic. So, it. Uh, but I mean, as I said, I'm, this is I think the 13th major, so I've, I've sort of played enough of these to sort of know what goes on and um, how to prepare and how to stay away from all the uh, the stuff that goes with it. But uh, yeah, it's. And you're not, you're not daunted looking down the line and seeing no. the big names in golf anymore, are you? No, no. I'm, I mean, at uh, you know, 40 years of age, so I think hopefully I'm I'm past that side of it. But it. Uh, you know, I appreciate. Um, you know, I love the game just as much as everyone and you know, I appreciate the way some of these guys play the game. It's extraordinary. Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Tiger, Rory, Adam Scott, Jason Day. All, I mean, the way they play the game is, you know, I, I'm in awe of them to no question, but um, I still feel like there's a lot of different ways to, to shoot a score and, and this golf course is the perfect example of that. It's, uh, you've got Adam all up at the end and it doesn't really matter which way you do it. It's uh, who has the lowest score. Had you sort of thought this chance has slipped you by? You've said that you've become a part-time player, in your words. Yeah. Um, did you think you'd missed the boat here? 
Um, yeah, but I think it was one of those things that US Open at Pebble Beach is, you know, to have a chance to go there, you've got to try and make everything work to try and have that chance to go on it. So I flew across to London and did the qualifier at Walton Heath because I, I really wanted to have a chance to come and play a US Open at Pebble. And, um, it's one of those things you, when you finish completely finish playing, to say that you've played and hopefully played well at a US Open at Pebble Beach, it's, uh, you know, it's right up there with one of your best achievements. And um, it's just such a special place that, you, as I said, you want to try and do everything you possibly can to go. And a bit of fate because you, you love Walton Heath too. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is the fourth time I've got in at Walton Heath to play US Open. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's one of my favourite golf courses we, we've ever been to. And yep. um, I know if I play half decent around there, I'm a good chance to, to get a spot. Did you feel like you played well there, or just... I played awful, absolutely. <laughs> it was probably, I think that's as bad as I've ever played as a professional golfer. And but it was probably the best putting performance I've ever put on uh, in 17 years as a pro. But, uh, I played with Nacho Elvira, and he, uh, I think he was getting the shits with me. But I was all over the <laughs> shop and just holding every putt I looked at, and he flushed it and missed everything and missed out in the playoffs. So it's, that's just what I mean. It's a crazy game, and you've got Adam up at the end, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's just the way it is. Um, you're part-time, as we said, but I know that you know, you've know you still got the fire definitely in your belly and saw you at the Australian Open when you were in contention and even though it wasn't full-time these days, you, you were ready to sort of strike a blow when you didn't have a good score there one day. Yeah, I think you. Uh, it's like anything. Once you step in the ring, you've got to be ready to go and I still feel like I, I love the game as much as I ever have and um, it's yeah. I think uh, hopefully I never lose that um, competitive side because it's um, yeah as I said I love playing the game and as com- as professional golfers we're all competitive there's no two ways about it and, um, yeah, it's just the way way we're wired and uh, when you get a sniff you try and grab it and um, lucky enough I've won a couple of tournaments in my career and um, it's probably just down to I probably haven't played well in those events but it's just been down to really just trying to get the job done and being competitive and never giving up and you've had like some tournaments in Asia this year, you've had two, sometimes three good rounds, you haven't been able to string a fourth one together. Is there a secret there, or is it just um, probably, like how you wake up? I think it's probably been a pattern in my career, to be honest. I've always sort of thrown in that bad one here and there, and um, yeah, I think it, uh, it's probably something that's always sort of been there, but uh, you're always striving to try and do better, and um, yeah, I think it's just, it's just the game we play sometimes. You, know, you feel really good on the golf course and you don't shoot a good score. Some days you have a terrible warm-up and then um, you get out there and somehow you shoot 65. And you just, it's just no, there's just no rhyme or reason, really. It's, uh, yeah, it's just a crazy game we play. Uh, no matter what happens to you this week, you've made someone incredibly happy. <laughs> uh, you've got a pretty famous name on your back, Brendan Goddard. Um, I'd imagine that he's beside himself uh, with the opportunity to walk around Pebble Beach. Yeah, it, uh, yes, as I said, for me, it's a bucket list um, US Open to come and play, and for him to come here and, and caddy in the US Open is, uh, you know, is, is definitely one of the bucket list thing for him as well. So it's, it, uh, you know, we've been good mates for a long time now, and um, you know, he's a very competitive person, as we know, when anyone who's watched him play footy, and, and but more, anything that he does, I suppose, in life in general, he gives 100% to, and, you know, this is no different this week to come out and caddying, and caddy for me last year in Hong Kong and uh, we had a great time even though I didn't play well it was uh, yeah still just good fun being out and knowing that you know someone has got your back and really wants you to do well and um, because they genuinely want to be here and, and really do want to, and want to do well themselves so it, uh, 
it's good fun. So I'm imagining by the time the putt dropped on the 18th or the 36th hole at Walton Heath that um, Mr Goddard was probably already halfway to Tullamarine. Yeah, I think I already had a text because he was... Uh, I was inside the number, so he was backing me into birdie the last and, and get through. So it, uh, I did get a text saying, am I required at Pebble? Because we'd already spoken about it a couple of weeks beforehand. So the next hurdle was trying to convince his wife, Rosie, that uh, he was heading to the States for a week. So, But uh, Rosie came with him and, um, you know, nice for them to get away for a, a week as well um, to the other side of the planet. And it, uh, yeah, it's just good to have, have him here. I know that he fancies himself, you know, as someone who perhaps could have been a pro golfer had he taken a different path with his athletic career what happens out on the course when you get out there does he does he sort of throw a number or do he, what, what's the rules does he does he offer advice or does he just sort of tag along no, as, I, uh, as i said to him turn up keep up and shut up <laughs> it uh but um no it's it, uh yeah he, he's, he plays the game at a, a very high level himself he's yeah. a scratch marker and a genuine scratch marker as well so um yeah he knows that i'm um i'm there trying to do a job and I've, I've been here before in tournaments like this so I, I sort of uh, I've got a good understanding of what I'm trying to do so he doesn't want to inf- interfere too much I don't think and um, it's just nice having a really good mate by his side to, to come do it who's also got a great understanding of you know golf course architecture and the way the courses should be played and um, especially on a golf course like this different angles in the greens and um, yeah no, it's just yeah, it's a bit of fun and um, I think at this stage of my career it's nice to have one of your mates um, like the bag around and try and have a really good laugh as well. I know there's someone else sort of over our shoulder, the meanest man on the Murray River. He's made his way across the US. Yeah, it, uh, it was a hard task getting him on the plane, that's for sure. Because uh, he's your dad, of course. Yeah, so he's he came, I think, to the 2005 British Open at St Andrews and um, yeah, he's very comfortable sitting on the back deck looking at the Murray River and a couple of beers and it's very hard to get him away from that. To, but, um, you know, as I said to someone the other day, I said... Uh, you know, for so long when you're growing up you want to be like your parents and um, then you go through a stage where you, you really try and annoy them and despise them <laughs> and try and do everything they everything they tell you to do you try and do the opposite but then you get to a point where you realize that you know um, that's all you want to be is you want to be your parents and um, you know it's just great that I can have dad over here to you know to come to a, a US Open at Pebble Beach and and walk around he's obviously very proud and um, that uh, we can get here, but at the same time, you know, to walk around and, um, you know, be part of it. And, you know, he's my, you know, my biggest role model in life and mentor, so it's nice to, um, you know, just to have him here. And he heard there was a fully stocked bar in the players' lounge, so <laughs> it's, uh, that was kind of the final thing that really got him over the line and said, you're not going to go without, mate. Do you reckon he can sneak in? He doesn't perhaps look like a player well, I think he days. might have disappeared now. I think he's actually probably in there on his third or fourth. So <laughs> he, uh, I mentioned it to him. His eyes lit up, so it might knock him out. He's got a bit of jet lag at the moment, so we'll wait and see. Uh, now I'm going to give you one last chance to uh, say hello and give a give a thought to Andy Maher, who's still devastated by the Carlton Essendon result of a couple of weeks ago. Sorry. Hasn't stopped talking about it. Do you want to say anything to Andy? Andy who? I've never, never <laughs> heard of the guy. But, um, yeah, Andy, yeah, no, Maher's a good mate of mine, and obviously a Peninsula Kingswood member as well and yeah he's given me plenty of tips along the way so if I can get rid of all of those and <laughs> ignore all of those I reckon I'm half a chance <laughs> Marcus Fraser always a delight to have you on Inside the Ropes thanks again cheers mate good on you uh, great to hear him in good spirits even if he's being a bit of a smart Alec, about a few things. I would never deign to give uh, Marcus Fraser a tip. tips. Is that <laughs> no, don't be silly I saw him have on Monday at Kingswood I saw him have uh, 
and he he just kind of he, he just knocked it around the joint. I saw him have the easiest sixty three oh. you can ever imagine a bloke having anywhere, and he knows he knew that course like the back of his hand, obviously. But uh, watching him play, he, he doesn't need he doesn't need a butcher like me saying anything <laughs> about anything. There's some good golf going on down at uh, Peninsula Kingswood at the moment. Dave McAlusey's what's he done now? Pre pre UK where he is now, he's 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 in the range of sixty to sixty three most weeks. It's it's killing. Which people. is about thirty six points for him. No, it's, it's killing people down there. It, Fraser's an interesting one. It's his fourth U.S. Open. Uh, he's made the cut in two of his previous three, and the one that he missed the cut. That was Merion, which was a bit weather-affected going in. That year. So the course is actually playing a bit longer than it normally would. But uh, the the shortest of all of the courses on the US road, you would have thought, well, Merion's going to suit Fraze more than any. But you know, clearly there were some extenuating circumstances. But, you know, he's a guy that knows how to get his ball around the golf course and keep it in play. If he can get it off putt. the... T- yeah, I know. That's a really part. So if he can keep it in play... Um, and, you know, find himself not too far away from the putting surfaces coming in. You just, you know, you never know about any of these guys. They're all good no, enough to have a result. The US Open, Correct. shoot par, you might be close. Mm. Uh, what do you feel about him having Brendan on the bag? Because, uh, you know, some people might look at that and go, oh, this is a bit Mickey Mouse, I suppose. But Brendan's actually a scratch marker, isn't mm. he? So, uh, And he loves his golf. He's caddied for him before, as he said there. Um, so... That's going to be good too. Have a mate on the bag. Well, you, you, you tell. I mean, you you, you, you advise that, younger players all the time about what the best team around them, you know, might be. I, I don't think. I think Fraze knows his way around. He, he knows his own mind. Yeah. He doesn't need caddies to read greens for him. He does all of that himself. No, nah, my read on that situation is he wants a mate there. Mm. He wants someone to yeah. have fun with, be relaxed. They're on the court. Well, sadly, they're on the course for about six hours, probably. But that's yeah. six, that's six hours. There's twenty four hours in a day. He can talk footy, talk rubbish, whatever he wants to do with a mate there, and I think it's a really good call. And the old man doesn't like flying. The old man hates flying, apparently, like terrified of the thing. That's why he hasn't been to see him play too many tournaments. But um, I wonder whether there's a bit of, as Hazy said, you know, that that this is for him a bit of the traditional golf course, the great National Open. I also yeah. wonder whether Frey's thinks, I'm not sure how many more major championships I'm going to play. I mean, I don't think too many people thought that he'd go – up against a really strong field mm. that he had to contend against at Walton Heath. I mean, there was... It's essentially a European tour event. It really was. And the previous week's winner was in the mm. field, um, and he didn't get through. Mm. So this was a good field that he... But I'm not sure Fraze... Ne- I don't know he likes that golf course, but I'm not sure he necessarily thought, well, I'm a real-life chance here. So maybe... Well, he just doesn't know how many more is he going That's to right. He doesn't yeah. know that. He's 40 years of age. Uh, he's still playing pretty well. I mean, mm. he, he he probably should have won the Australian Open last year. Mm. Um, so it's not that long ago that at a, at certain courses he can be very competitive. Mm. So, you know, let's just see how he goes. And once these guys tee it up on the Pebble first, Beach. it doesn't matter how much they're talking about having fun and all of that. Once he hits yeah. his first shot, yeah. it's on. Yeah, exactly. Well, you talk about the caddy. Uh, yeah. Hazy also caught up with Brendan Goddard, a name well known to everybody who's grown up in uh, AFL states or Australian football states. Uh, for those who don't know, 300-game champion for the St Kilda and the Essendon footy clubs. Uh, outstanding footballer. Played a bit of footy for your mob, uh, Blakey, on the way yeah. through. Ab- absolutely excellent player. I mean, he was he was about 20 seconds away from being the hero mm. of a St Kilda grand final victory. And uh, sadly, it didn't happen. And you will not meet a bloke who's a big enoughy, Matty, uh, about the game of golf. Loves his golf. Passionate. Collects Scotty Cameron putter covers. But say. probably should have played for Carlton. 
but that's, um, a very that's good another point. story. No, that is another story. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can tell that in the last segment of the show today. <laughs> uh, let's hear from the man who's going to be uh, carrying Marcus Fraser's bags and hopefully advising him in all the right ways at Pebble Beach. Brendan Goddard, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Uh, there's a chance that you could be the happiest bloke on the Monterey Peninsula this week. Uh, there's a chance, or it's, uh, I think I am. No, I reckon you are. Yeah, to I'm be honest. here watching your good mate Marcus Fraser get ready for his fourth US Open, and it looks like you're getting ready for your first. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I am. Um, wish I was playing. I uh, was lucky enough, uh, this will be shown later in the week, I think, or, or um, broadcast, so I was lucky enough to hit a couple of shots yesterday. <laughs> US Open prepared Pebble Beach, so um, I've got those up my sleeve for social media, so um, <laughs> I'll send those out next week when Fraser and I are on the plane out of here in case uh, we get any DQs or any tap on the shoulders. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Were you barracking for putts to go in at Walton Heath as you saw the scores coming in? Uh, well, if I hadn't only been hitting it like shit and holding bombs, I probably would have been, but actually what it looked like, he, I thought he was hitting it well. Um, but uh, yeah no I was after the first round I checked I was on it uh, all night but checked scores and got after the first round and then thought shit you know six under then doing the calculations in my head and thought he probably just needs to shoot two or three under Um, and because I think the first 18 holes were on the easier course what it looked like with scoring Uh, and the second second 18 on the harder one so um, I thought if he could shoot two or three under it should be the be the number and then truth yeah truth be told as you know four under and got in the house at uh tied second i think it was so um yeah it didn't didn't gas it down the stretch so were you immediately on the road to the airport or were you just sort <laughs> yeah, of hedging yeah. your bets uh no well, i sent a little slight text after he won said uh congrats along those lines and then <laughs> next one was so do i need to uh, let rosie know that i'm coming <laughs> Because I was yet to uh, drop drop <laughs> that uh, any hints or anything at that stage, even though he did mention it a couple of weeks earlier. So, did you fancy your chances more of getting a yes from Fraze or a yes from your bride? Uh, no, from Fraze. <laughs> so, as you may be aware of, that uh, I got the ultimatum and said the only way you're going is that if I'm going with you. So, <laughs> uh, I was going to bend over backwards to try and make that happen. I did. And uh, thankfully, my mum and my sister convinced them to, or my mum anyway, to take some time off work to look after the kids so we can come. Oh, Grandma, through to the rescue. Yeah, to the rescue. So uh, Rosie's parents were away overseas, so we couldn't rely on them. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> mum down in Cherelgan took some time off, thankfully, and uh, <laughs> hence why we're here. So now, mate, you've walked around. Um, it's it's pretty next level visually, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, visually, it's, um, yeah, spectacular. So it's, it's kind of reveals itself after you know three or four holes and then you've you've got yeah like what is it four through you know ten just amazing stretch of holes so um yeah it's it's, as i kind of said earlier i think it's outdone my expectations heard a lot about it and then and you had you don't see a lot of the inland holes particularly one two three and then on the other on the back side when you've got 12 13 you don't see those holes like some of those holes i've never seen but yeah. Um, because they just um, broadcasting don't you know don't feel the need to show them. So um, it's good to see them. So as, as a package, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. And without throwing 500 a pop uh, US down the tubes, it's pretty good to walk inside the ropes for you, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, don't, obviously envious. I don't get to play, but um, 
yeah, inside the ropes and get the full experience. So it's, um, you know, that's that's money can't buy stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, yeah, pretty uh, pretty appreciative of the invite. What does it do? You, I mean, you, everyone knows that you want to be a golfer for a, a long time. <laughs> does this sort of hammer home you wish you had it, or are you glad you didn't? Um, oh no, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I um, because I never really had like ambitions to be a golfer because I played so much footy and cricket and basketball was my like third sport that golf was still a passion like you know I loved it and had um, memorabilia of Greg Norman and Ian Baker Finch I've explained a couple of times and, but I, I just could never play as much as I wanted to because of those other three sports so the only time I did play is in between those and I used to belt balls on the oval we lived on the back of and the paddocks next door and then go to the golf course with dad when he was um when I was real little, when he was a, he was a superintendent or self-proclaimed superintendent of a little golf course out in <laughs> Toongabby where he used to hand, hand water greens and, and tees just to keep it playable for uh, the guys that did play. So I spent time out there belting balls, you know, and that's when I was like three, four, five, yeah. six, seven. Um, and that was a town that Dad's parents used to own the general store at. So, um, yeah, I actually just could never get as much in as I wanted to until I actually got drafted because that then freed other time up and then obviously you know footy was footy was a priority so yeah. um, then I could start playing as much as I kind of always desired to um, must be pretty special for you not only to be here but to be on the bag for a, you know a really good mate yeah yeah that, that's what makes it more special so um, obviously to get the invite and then do it to do it with him is yeah is, is the special part Good man. Thank you. I won't hold you up. I know you've got some really heavy duty caddying oh, yep. duties ahead that's of you right. here, so I better let you get that's back one, to that's it. One of the, that's one of the positives about Freight. He's pretty self-sufficient as a golfer, which is pretty unusual. I think I've got one of the more easier bags <laughs> to carry on the, on tour. So. Do you reckon there's some high-maintenance blokes around yeah, here? Yeah, well, you just saw a bit of Bryson DeChambeau beside us, and <laughs> his caddies, I've seen him working overtime the last couple of days and I saw him lying down on his belly yesterday filming Bryson and looking at numbers every time he hit the ball and none of that for you? No, nah, none of that for me. Fraser well, can do all that himself. Where would you draw the line if he sort of started pushing his weight around a little bit? What pushing his weight yeah, he's, he's got a bit more than me, so <laughs> <laughs> So he's probably got it over. So it'd be hard to stop. Good on you, PJ. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Okay, so uh, there's Brendan Goddard, who's going to be alongside Marcus Fraser. Are you going to tip a winner just before we uh, have a break and get to Matty Goggin, who's going to join us on the other side? Why wouldn't Brooks Kepka win it again? He's won two in a row. It's a bit boring. Two, isn't two it? US Tipping Opens in a row. That's a bit boring. It's funny, though. It's as if we're not just allowed to. Just tell me to. why he wouldn't. There's absolutely There's no reason. No, no reason at all. Absolutely and it's not a tour not. event, it's a major. Mm. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Have you a major got one? specialist. Oh, I guess I'm hoping for an Adam Scott. I'd love to see Cam Smith find a bit of form. Mm. Um, I I think it's a shame what they've done around the greens with the rough for him, but these guys are so good he can he can make it work. But so, um, yeah, look, I think Adam Scott, and if Rory turns up with the same, that's boring too. I'm yeah. sorry. But, no, 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 that's all right. You had one. Who are you saying? Andy? I'm going to keep tipping outside of the Australians who I'm barracking for. I'm going to keep tipping him. He'll win one sooner or later. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm just going to tip him every major championship until he wins one. I think you'll be waiting too long. I don't think I'll be waiting. I hope, well, not for his sake. I like him. I think he's he plays golf the right way. So um, I'll tip him outside of the Australian contingent. We're going to break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. Uh, these two fellas caught up with Matt Goggin a bit earlier on in the day to talk about a legend of Tasmanian golf um, and the journey that Matt Goggin continues to find himself on. We'll hear about that on the other side of this. 
Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favorite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. All right, welcome back to Inside the Ropes. We're joined uh, by Matt Goggin from Charlotte, North Carolina at the moment. Uh, Matt Goggin, of course, is one of Tasmania's most famous or best ever golfers, along with his mother, Lindy. Uh, but uh, it was a, a difficult subject because Peter Toogood, uh, who is arguably the greatest Tasmanian golfer ever, died this week at 89 years of age. And Matty, I'm led to believe you had a um, quite a strong relationship with Peter. I just wanted to read out some of the the details of Peter's career because it is quite something. Australian amateur champion yeah, yeah. in 1954, uh, Eisenhower trophy in the original Eisenhower trophy team 1958, eight Tasmanian Open victories, leading amateur 1954 Open Championship. He had a hole in one when he was eight years of age and he was in the Guinness Book of Records for quite a while. He won 36 club championships cuts. That's my uh, favourite. That's my favourite of all of them. <laughs> Matt, he, he, he was a legend, wasn't he? Uh, tell us a bit about your relationship with him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I probably... He was a legend around the club, and obviously mum, you know, he played a lot of Kingston Beach and then was over at Royal Hobart a bit later on. And um, My grandfather and him were, were pretty good mates, and obviously mum knew him quite well. So when I sort of started coming on the scene just as a very early junior... Um, my grandfather introduced him and we to play a lot of golf together and he had a big influence on my early development really. Um, we played a lot. We played most Wednesdays and um, he was probably in his late 50s when we started playing so he was um, you know, not in his prime at all but he could still play and uh, yeah, he had a big influence. Um, he had a big influence on a lot of juniors around there. I think if you talk to Andrew Hill or Paul Beard or Brett Johns, Matt Blackburn, any of the guys that have gone on and played state golf that grew up or played a lot of golf in that in the southern part of Tasmania, he had a lot of influence on all of us. What What was his style in terms of the way that he he kind of mentored you? What, what did he like you to do? You know, it, you know, it was interesting. He was he was a fantastic coach in the sense that. He wasn't the sort of guy who would be walking up and down the range and telling juniors what to do. Um, he'd hardly ever give you a tip on the range, but he loved when you got out in the course, um, seeing how you play. And then all of his coaching, he basically did it on the course. And he had some absolutely fantastic tips. I remember a few times we would go out, you know, we would have played during the day or earlier in the week and we'd be going out for nine holes in the afternoon. And the sort of lessons he would be, give you is, he would put you behind an obstacle, so behind a tree, under a limb, and say, okay, I want you to we're going to drop a few balls here, or I want you to hit it up and under the limb and draw it. You know what I mean? So you got you know, hit a high draw, but you've got to start underneath the limb to begin with. And, um, and, and all, of his, all of his coaching was done sort of on course, both making you hit shots, putting you behind things, and then, you know, you wouldn't realise what was going on. But then later on, you realise... Oh, that was doing, you know, got me back on plane or, or whatever it was at the time. He wasn't like technical, but he was, 
Matt, he knew a lot about the game. Who do you great. think is uh, Tasmania's greatest golfer? Because your mum, Lindy, of course, had an amazing record as well. Who, who is it? Well, I mean, I've, I've got to say mum, right? Yeah. I can't say that. I mean, a bit of bias there. Three times, three time Australian amateur champion, four time Victorian amateur champion. I don't know. She won 22 Tasmanian amateurs. She was pretty good. It's handy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, pretty handy. It's yeah. all, it was always tough growing up when your mum would whip your, your butt for. <laughs> The first sort of ten years of your golfing career it took me a long time to get over that one. It's uh, it's it's hard. You're not comparing apples with apples, but in the high performance area, we're, we're trying <laughs> to create uh, top 100 golfers in the world. And and Matt is Tasmania's only ever top 100 player in the world. So uh, you can hang your hat on that one, Matt. Yeah, Peter had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, I played. It was it's funny. You know, he was not you know playing a lot of competitive golf. But I do remember, actually, um, somehow we ended up playing each other in the final of the Tasmanian Amateur right after I played the, um, had won the Australian Amateur. So I was coming in red hot. Um, I was probably one of the top amateurs in the country. And uh, the very next week, we're playing the Tassie Amateur up in Seabrook, and I think I was the leading qualifier. And I really felt like um, the only guy that would give me a run was Paul Marshall, who was another really good Tasmanian Amateur at the time and in the Australian squad. I managed to just sneak by him in the second round and I get to the final and I'm playing Peter over 36 holes and it was it was kind of weird because we had such a sort of strong relationship but I was I was in the middle of like you know trying to create a name for myself and you know take no prisoners type thing um so it was like a weird day and uh so I was playing really well um Peter played a little scratchy and then you know, his, his Achilles heel was at, at whatever age he was, mid 60s. You know, he would start, he'd get a little bit sus with the putter. So when the putter left him, um, it sort of turned ugly. And we got to the, I think it was about the 20, what the hole was it, the 26, 25th hole in the afternoon. And I'm, I'm 10 up. Um, and he's, you know, he's got two putts to halve the hole. And he, leaves it four feet short and uh, I said to Peter I said just pick it up Peter you can't I'm not gonna like I'm not this is not how it's happening and he shot me one of those looks like no you, you can't <laughs> give me this putt you know I've got to earn this and you know don't and basically and he, he sort of as we're wandering off pulling our carts he's like Matthew you can't give me that putt people will speak people will talk of it as if to say you 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 don't show me any mercy and I'm going to earn everything I get. And it was, uh, it was a pretty strong lesson. And, uh, but that was the sort of guy he was. That's great. Yeah. Great, all, great story. Yeah. Still giving lessons back then. So you yeah. talked about, um, how his, uh, his putting, uh, at the end may have, may have left him a little, what were his strengths when he was at his, uh, at his peak, uh, all through that, uh, that period there? Well, I mean, obviously he was, he was a classic player back in the day. He was sort of like, Classic swing, and by the time I sort of got to play with him a bit, he was the sort of guy who was routinely shooting his age in his like you know later 60s. Um, he was just very consistent, had a beautiful golf swing. It was almost like as you get, it's kind of like the Tom Watson thing. He had like the full flowing left knee, flying right elbow, but get into your mid 60s and you're a little tighter, and all of a sudden you've got this perfect looking Ben Hogan swing. <laughs> um, so it aged very well. But he was, I mean. I obviously didn't play him or came, came across him in his like competitive fiery peak, but I, I, he didn't seem to have an angry bone in his body um, when I played with him, and I couldn't 
he might have been fiercely competitive inside, but on the out, I'm an absolute gentleman and uh, would do anything to help you. I mean, I saw him every time I go back to the club. We'd always run into each other, even just just last year. And he talked about my game, and we just talked about how his game's going and what he's been up to. And he was, um, yeah, he was a legend around the club, but he was also a you know a terrific guy. Of course, he never turned pro, Matt. Uh, he was the senior master at Rosney College in Hobart, and uh, he was a, one of Tasmania's uh, finest educators, I believe. So um, did he ever speak about that, the fact that... Because I'm led to believe that Peter Thompson, who was a good friend of his, uh, implored him to turn pro, you know, in his early days because he was clearly good enough. Did he ever speak yeah, I mean, about that at all? Talk, no, we never talked about it, really. Like, the stories he would talk about how... He would, um, I think when he went over to qualify for the British Open, he was nervous because he'd look around and, you know, Bobby Locke or something, he'd won the year before, was out there having to qualify because they all had to re-qualify back then. Um, and he got through and then obviously I think he finished, you know, in the top 20 or so and was the leading amateur um, in the British Open. But he never talked about or had any regrets or, or even asked me, what's it, you know, do you enjoy being on tour? or anything like that. And one of the great things he was, like going back to the coaching side of things, is that he would never... Um, he he was... If you asked for advice, he would give it. But he wasn't the sort of guy who, like, if I came back from the AIS or if I was coming back on tour, where he would force his opinion or force himself on you, which a lot of people, you know, they tend to do. They want to come in and help you and, you know, to help themselves. But he was... You know, he was more than happy just to sit back, enjoy your game, talk about it. If you ask him for a few questions, he'd answer them. But he was never like, he was very observant. But he was never, um, you know, he was never in your face about it. And like, you, when you when I look back, it's, I was so appreciative of that because there's so many times where people have the urge to wanting to step in, that he was willing to let you develop. And, you know, when you needed the help, he was there but he could see when you're going well, just to, you could just play and just have a, just a social round of golf. There was no, like, you know, there was nothing more than that. Just enjoying a round of golf with your mate. Mm, thanks for those insights. So just before we let you go, Matt, um, uh, it'd be remiss of us not to ask you what you're up to. Um, you're, you're living in Charlotte, I believe. And I gather that you sort of come, come between the two countries, but um, what's happening with your golf? The last time I sort of, um, you know, came across what you're doing. You, I think you were playing on the Mackenzie Tour in Canada, but uh, I know that you tried to qualify yeah, for the right. U.S. Open at Pebble Beach and missed out there. What, what, what's happening with your game? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one more Peter Good thing before we go. Oh, okay. And then I can bore you with the de- bore you with the details of what I'm I'm up to. When you're talking about his education and like his teacher, the one thing he was amazing at was to get someone who's never hit a golf ball before, especially a junior, and get them to hit their first ever flush shot. And you only ever tell them three things. I can't remember the three things. It's one of those things I should have written down. One of them was as simple as making sure the belt buckle, the big thing was make sure your belt buckle finished, finished facing at the target. But I had friends that would come down who were terrible at golf, couldn't get the ball off the ground. And Peter would be on the range, I'd be hitting a few balls, you know, and he'd, he'd take, the, take my buddy off because he thought he was struggling. And he'd rip his first couple of shots. And I think he had that, that was sort of the, the educator in him. He loves doing that. He loves showing someone who hadn't played golf their first flush shot, and he was he was brilliant at it. Um, that's awesome. That, yeah. that that that's going to bring someone back. So that's that's someone that might not have come back to the game, and straight away they're back down there next absolutely. week. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. 
in my game. You know, I was um, obviously coming off a few injuries and uh, struggling a bit. And I kind of worked it through finally to be playing half decent at the end of last year. Um, I had partial status on the web tour. I qualified for the Peter Quail event here in, in Charlotte a couple of weeks ago. It's just, uh, just haven't got many opportunities to play, but um, I'm definitely playing a lot better and I'm healthy. And it's, I still feel like um, it's something I want to do. Like I get out there and, you know, when you're away from golf, it's easy to forget um, how much it means to you. Cause you sort of get, you have your kids and the other things you've got to do. And but when I get back out on the golf course and I start practicing, or I'm getting ready for a tournament or I'm at a tournament. I realize it's really the only thing I want to do. So I have a real passion for the game and want to play. Um, but it's, you know, it's competitive. You've got to earn your way back. And that's what I'm trying to do. How tough's that been? Uh, because in the last few years, I mean, you had a wrist operation or an injury, then an operation. Uh, how difficult has it been? Because the, the earnings column hasn't been that strong in the last few years. You know, it must be difficult yeah, to just um, make, yeah, make, no, make ends meet. It's difficult from a, it's, it's, because golf is, the difference between, like, talent's the entry fee, right? Everyone's really good. But if you lose 5%, or if you just lose 10% of your confidence, you're not on tour anymore. And it's, it's, it's a, it feels like a bit of an intangible when you don't have it. When you're out there playing well, and every day you're playing with good, solid standard, it's not like you're playing, you know, your greatest round every day. You just feel like you're just playing solid, you're confident, and you're just sort of churning out weeks. It's amazing when you step back and you're not doing that, how unattainable it feels sometimes. But um, the injuries, I, I, was, I wasn't injured. I had 20 years where I had four weeks off because I had a slight strain in, a, in, my, in my rib from picking up a car seat. But, I mean, I was lucky. And I guess having not having to deal with an injury, I tried to play through one and it was the biggest mistake because it wasn't just a physical problem. It, it all of a sudden ate away my confidence to the point where it was, it was hurting so much to hit balls that I started to fear impact and you start to have all these technical issues. And even when you solve the technical issues, the mental one becomes, becomes a, a tough thing to work through. So it was, it's brutal when you play and you feel... Not even you don't feel competitive at all, um, so it, it's taken a lot longer than what I wanted. But it's definitely at the point where you know I qualified for Quail, I got through the first U.S. Open qualifier. Things where it's just like you expect you, you expect to do it every now and again. I'm starting to do, but it's just getting the opportunities now and taking advantage of them. So how does that work, Matt? For you, you said you got partial status on the web. What is the what is the next? six months of this year look like or the next four months of that season look like for you? How do you get access yeah, to, I mean, to I, events? I mean, I could, I could do some qualifiers. I actually prefer to do the tour qualifiers just because they're actually easy to get through and it, it's an easier path to get to the web finals by qualifying for a PGA Tour event and playing well than it is doing a web tour event, getting reshuffled in and then getting more starts. Both qualifiers are equally... I mean... It's really a numbers game. A tour qualifier might have 60 guys for four spots. A web qualifier might have 300, 320 guys for 12 spots. And I don't care what level of golf you're at. And that's why those World Golf Championships are a joke. If you have a full field, 150 guys, the scoring is going to be better no matter what level it is. 
compared to the top 50 in the world. If you take the top, you take the 150 qualifiers against the top 50 in the world, the cup's going to be lower in the tournament. It's 150, just because there's not just 100 good players in the world. There's thousands, and it's you know there's more there's more money and better athletes are coming to the game. It's getting more and more competitive. So you, you just try and you look at the numbers and say, well. It's easier four from sixty than it is twelve from three hundred and forty. Yeah, it's just it's just a straight numbers game, and as you said, it's brutal. And and there's just new players coming out every year and every week that are wanting your spot. And I guess uh, they yeah, they want a lot of the qualifying courses don't lend themselves. They're like they're not, you know, it's, it's not like we're playing Royal Melbourne in a northerly. We're playing <laughs> Albert Park, you know, <laughs> in a in a dead still day with 152 players driving seven of the greens. I mean, that's the sort of courses we play. <laughs> well, Shoot one... 62 or go home. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. pretty much. Well, one of those young players uh, coming through, albeit uh, on different tours uh, in the future, is, is your niece, Hallie Meeburn, uh, who's, uh, who's part of the Tasmanian High Performance Pathway. Uh, she caddied for you at the Australian Open this year. Uh, tell us a little bit about Hallie. Yeah, I think I missed the cut by a shot, and I'm pretty sure it was her fault. I think I told her at the end of the week. <laughs> said, you did a terrible job. You fired. And then I made the cut next week and played well. So clearly it was her fault. So she's not counting <laughs> for me again. But uh, no, no, she's great. And, you know, it, I feel for her in a way because it's difficult growing up in Tassie, and it's difficult playing a sport like golf where there's hardly any other girls girls playing golf. Like, it's tough enough for the the guys because at least we had a, you know four or five of us who were really into it and down there all the time so I think it's great that she stuck at it because she you know she started hanging around at the golf club with mum and going down there for lunch and hitting a few balls when she was probably 10 or 11 and she got a real bug and you know we all kind of looked at it like well she's got some talent she can really smash it her club head speed's outrageous it is um, but you, you don't know whether they're going to stick with it you know because it can't be that much. Like, you've either got to be obsessed with golf, and clearly the golf bug got her, and it's been great, and she's got a lot of ability. And um, I think the, the biggest issue with height, you know, everyone expects them to be, you know, the greatest player in the world when they're 16. And as, as we all know, this career takes 20 years, and she's got a long time before she has to hit her peak. And um, given the, you know, the space, she's a very raw talent. And uh, given the right guidance, which I'm sure she'll get down there through through Golf Australia and being involved in the high performance stuff, because the reputation around the world for Golf Australia is pretty strong. Um, Australian golf and amateurs in general are very strong worldwide. So now she's in that program, and hopefully she gets the time to develop. And I think she'll be, you know, a really good player because she's got all the she's got all the physical ability. It's just putting it all together, and it's just having the time to do it. Some good genetics too, uh, Matt. Listen, uh, thanks very much for joining us on Inside the Ropes. I think this might be your debut on the show. I'm not too sure, but uh, it's been great to get some insights about Peter Toogood. Amazing that you played against him in the 95 uh, Tasmanian Amateur. That's, that's uh, unbelievable. And yeah. uh, we really appreciate your yeah. time. We'll let you get to bed. We're going to take a break on Inside no the Ropes. We'll be back in a moment uh, with some general business. 
The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to the show. Always good hearing uh, thoughtful voices, um, particularly with an Australian accent uh, attached to them. And that's what Matt Goggins is. I couldn't believe that. Uh, Hazy told me that he had a connection with Peter Toogood, but I didn't realise they'd played against each other in a, a Tasmanian amateur championship, which was quite something. So some great anecdotes there. One thing we didn't mention, and Matty Cutler mentioned this to me before, was that Peter Toogood once beat his own brother in a Tasmanian amateur championship, I believe it was, and the Hobart Mercury ended up with the headline, which has gone into uh, posterity, I guess. Too good was too good for too good. <laughs> How about that? That's too good to refuse, isn't too it? When you get when you, when, when you get a headline gifted to you like that, you've got to go with it. Um, we're obviously so much focus on the US Open uh, up the top of the show, but haven't really had the chance to go around the world and Australians' performances during the week leading up to the US Open. And probably the one that jumps off the page the most came from the Web Tour this week with Rian Gibson. Um, Winning, winning well in a rain-shortened event, three rounds played, but he was three clear at the end of the three rounds. This all but secures his card back onto the PGA Tour. Yeah, he's Tour. Yep. He's all good. Yeah, it's, it's great. How good's that? Oh, it's phenomenal. That is the hardest tour to get off, mm. really. You can get, and I know Clates talks about this a lot, you can get stuck there. It's an awesome pathway to the, big, to, to the big show, but you can get stuck there. You want to get off there as soon as possible, and he's done that. So he played on the PGA Tour in 2016, mm. but it was one of those things. I'm pretty sure from memory, it was sort of, you know, the web graduates, they, they only get a certain Limited number of starts, starts yeah, and yeah. re-rankings and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it's all very well to say that you're there, but you really need to get a good result early on. So he's going back there. He shot 63 in the last round. Minwoo Lee was in that field as well. Matty uh, Minwoo got a, a sponsor's invitation to play that event, then shot 74 on the first day, which meant... In a web event, that's just mm. going backwards at a rate of knots to the field. So he shot 68 second round. Yep. What's uh, Minwoo's status at the moment? He's basically trying to play in Europe. Is He's that right? He's trying to play his way uh, onto the European Tour next year. He, do you, he, what's your understanding of how close he is? He's close. He, he yeah. had his seven starts and he fell about thirty to 40,000 short um, financially on what would, have, what would have got him there based on last year's results. So he'll need to play his way in on a Monday to some European tour events, which he'll do. Yeah, um, oh, right. The Gulf Sixers being on this week, it, it was an opportunity to play somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but he'll he'll back himself in and uh, and try and get onto Europe that way. Sadly, those of us who don't have KO uh, have only got the standard or the, re- you know, the regular Fox package, which might I add, we pay a lot of money for. Uh, we got we had the golf bumped on the Saturday night, I reckon, the second or third night of the golf six, probably the second night, I think. I'm, I'm not even sure. I lost interest after that, to be mm-hmm. honest. Once I think the Australians might have been struggling or out by that stage, but it, it's just not good. It's not good enough. It, uh, if they want us to keep, you know, a fox, there's enough challenges coming in from other areas for an organisation like 
Foxtel, um, which wants to, you know, draw consumers in, particularly those of us who love sport. Yeah. Um, now, if, whether they're driving us to KO or not, I'm not sure. It feels a bit like that. But I'm getting rid of my Foxtel package as soon as I possibly can now because of exactly the sort of thing that happened with the Sixers. You watch it. You like it. It's something we went well at last year. We've got a good team in. Um, it's, an, it's a breath of fresh air as a tournament. You watch it the first night and then they bump it for whatever else they decide is uh, of more interest the second night round. Uh, I reckon, A, it was pretty poor that there wasn't an announcement that this was going to happen. And B, it's it's not good for the tournament from a global perspective if this sort of stuff's happening happening all over the place. They often bump the LPGA, don't they? Yeah, and you have, and, and they as also, a golf fan, you know the result, but you're watching on delay, which is, which is delay. disappointing. Yeah. So on, you can watch live on KO. Everything, I think you know, you? that's the only thing. I mean, I think from now on, if you well, if you've got TV, the subs- well, that's really the other option to your TV. Well, you'd have to do if you just can work that. Out. Andy, Andy, you don't know how to do it, do you? Casting? No, no. So he re- he bangs on about this like it's second I nature. Doubt, I doubt that. I can actually do it, but but no, not, you know, who not came in and did of the time? Who stum- came in and stumbled did it across it? Someone came <laughs> in and did it. <laughs> Someone came in and did it for you. Now what you did you make of that European event? Um, I like I, it. I, it's good that they're trying something different. It was in Portugal. Yeah. Uh, I, the Australian team was Scott Hand and Wade Ormsby. Wade Ormsby. Yeah. Yeah. So they got into a uh, some sort of uh, playoff. Hole with yeah. the two German women who mm. were in the field, yep. and I believe it was like a nineteen inches was the you know a handy hit one into nineteen inches close, and the Germans or they were out of the whole thing. Yeah, no, that was good. That was and the last the match Thailand we saw them play. I think it was mm. good. In the end, Thailand uh, won that, yeah. that event, but it, yeah, interesting and a little bit of sort of Vic Open style. Yeah, that's no, great. Yeah. Uh, what else around the world do we need to know about from an Australian perspective, Matty? Uh, LPGA Tour, Minji Lee had the week off or took the week off there, so she stays at number two in the world. Um, we had Suo. So we have the number two player in the world in golf and in tennis now. Yes. That's yeah. pretty good, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, someone on social media said the other day, would, would that have ever happened? I, I doubt that it would have. But here's Highly unlikely. Ash Barty, who won, obviously won the French Open, her boyfriend, Gary Kissick, is a trainee pro. Is that correct? Or he may even be a full, full-on pro. He's at Broadwater, I believe. I'm not sure. So they play he's, a bit of golf, you apparently. Yeah. So I did, uh, maybe, social pages so of inside the Ash list. Barty's played top-level cricket, mm. uh, obviously top-level uh, tennis. I wonder if she could and she's get her celebrating. Over to golf well, she actually one. said she was going to celebrate her win with uh, a few beers, uh, a good steak, and a round of golf. That's right. She's a very girl. She barracks for Carlton. She, unfortunately, she barracks for <laughs> Richmond. Yeah, yeah, that's the only. She has to have one downside. Um, is there a camp this week, Matty? There is. Uh, mm. We are running a high performance camp down uh, in Tasmania at Barnboogle Dunes, uh, which we spoke about uh, Hallie Meeburn, Matt Goggin's niece. She'll be there mm. along with uh, Mackenzie Wilson and a number of the other. Uh, young players down there, Ronan Philgate. Uh, we're, we're focusing on the younger players down in Tasmania and uh, what better place to host it than oh, um, Bill right. Jones. Nice. Yeah. Hoping, finger, fingers crossed for some good weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, any other Australian performances around the world? We um, so Suo, you mentioned Suo very briefly there. That, that was probably a, quite a good result for her. Given she's been struggling, hasn't she? She has a little, 68, 71, 73. She's got mm. Tom Powell-Horan on the bag at the moment uh. over there former Victorian state rep and uh, golf pro himself. He's mm. over there uh, working with her. But, uh, yeah, hopefully she finds a little bit more form. Um, Japan men's tour, Brad Kennedy tied 12th, Matt Griffin tied 16th. They just rack them up every good. week. and Fantastic. Uh, just churn it out. So uh, good for them. And I see Matt's home for a little while now. A couple of young guys, uh, Zach Murray 
uh, made the cut over there along with uh, Anthony Quayle in Japan. But uh, it was a reasonably quiet week uh, overseas. Symmetra Tour, Whitney Hillier made the cut uh, on a rare uh, trip for her to the US. Uh, I noticed uh, the Arnold Palmer Cup, which doesn't get a lot of focus and status and coverage over oh, here. Yeah. College golfers playing over in America. The internationals upset a recent run of dominance by the US, I noticed this week, and there were a couple of Australians playing for the international team. There were Gabby Ruffles, um, Ryan's sister, and Hira Naveed, who both attend college uh, over in the US, so that's college players only, as you said. Mm. Um, no Australian men in the uh, in the men's team, but the international women and men, clean sweep there. Any other bits and pieces that we have, general business, before we wrap that's it up? That's about it, Andy. Good. Well done, you Next too. Next week, I might talk a bit about doing it for Jared, which uh, mm. is relates to, it's coming up to 12 months since the passing of Jared Lyle, and there's a lot of clubs uh, who are putting their hand up to for this campaign that's going to raise money for Challenge, but I'll, I'll talk more about it next week. And the, and the book, which Hazy and I did, uh, Jared's autobiography, uh, is coming out in August. Fantastic. We should make sure we do that every single week, I reckon. And clubs, if you need to know more about it, go to golf.org.au. There's going to be information all over the place yeah. if you want to get on board and be part of what will be a great celebration of one man's life, but a great celebration of uh, the great game of golf that he loves so very, very much. Um, so now it's time to talk about time to talk about the blue baggers now before we get going. We'll just send you off to a call. Okay, right. Maybe we don't need to do that on here. Good to see you, Matty. You too, Andy. Matty Cullen joining us as he always does. Good to see you, Gazelle. See, see you next see week. You, Matty. Good on you. Uh, that's it. Episode 106 of Inside the Ropes done and dusted. See you same time next week.